Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I don't know if you've ever believed something about yourself that isn't true. There's just something about yourself that is not actually true. You thought it was. For me, for many years, I actually believed that I was six foot tall. That's true. I, I did. I, I thought I am six foot. And I liked being in the six category because I think that six and above, we would consider that tall, you know? And five, not so much. But anyway, I thought I was six foot and I had to go for a job. And so they had to measure my height for the job. And they said, you're 181 centimeters. And I was quick to say, yeah, six foot. And they said, no, nah, that's it's actually 183 centimeters. That's six foot. And, and then suddenly well, my whole world came crashing down, obviously, you know. And I, and I realized the truth is I've, well, I've been living a lie, you know. And here I was walking around just accessing the top shelf at the supermarket like a six-footer, thinking that I was six-foot when it's not even real. It wasn't true. It wasn't happening. And now that I realized that I was a few centimeters short, it makes sense. There were, there were definitely times where I had to use my tippy toes. And, I, and, and, and looking back at my life, it makes sense. But the whole time, I didn't know. And I was, I was living a lie. And maybe that's a small thing. Okay, it is a small thing. But sometimes we believe big things about ourselves that aren't true. Like one of my kids came home from school one day. And he said, Dad, this kid at school, he called me something. I said, what did he call you? And he, he told me. And I, and I said to him, hey, listen. I said, I'm your dad. I said, I don't know what that kid was thinking, but I can promise you that what he said about you is not true. He said, it's not? I said, no, 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 no. I said, I'm your dad. I know you so much better than that kid. And he's just saying stuff, but it's not true. And you can't, you can't believe that and you can't listen to it. And that would be so good for us just to learn that one little idea that just because somebody says something about you doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. But it's funny how some things really start to stick to you and you, you your life seems to move in the direction of the things that you believe. In fact, your life will move in the direction of the strongest thoughts that you have. And here's my point to you tonight. If you believe a lie, you'll live a lie. If you believe a lie, you'll live a lie. And I don't believe that God wants anyone here tonight to live a lie. So I'm going to preach a message to you tonight called Speechless. I don't know if you've ever felt like you have failed at something. I have many times. I'll tell you one. I was a, a, a kid, and despite what some of you believe, I was actually able to sing at one point in my life, and so I did. And so I, I was in primary school, and I tried out for this main part at a concert that we had, and I got the part. And so they sent the verse home and I had to learn this verse. And I tell you what, I practiced this thing over and over. I knew the words so well, I would perform it to my parents. And they were like, you're great. You're going to be great. You know the words and you've got this thing down pat. And I knew it. And so the night of the concert came and I was excited and I couldn't wait to get out there and start to sing. And so I walked up to the microphone. There was, there was actually a line of people that had lined up to sing. And so it came to my part and I walked up and the moment that I saw everybody out there, I forgot everything in here. I was so nervous. I started looking at all the people that were looking at me. And suddenly I, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't even know any of the words to this song. And so they just started playing because the song was continuing. And, and every single person on the creative team would probably know how this feels. But I missed my cue. You know, I missed the moment where I was meant to come in. 
and there's nothing worse. It's like the temperature in the room starts to rise. Anxiety begins to rise and I suddenly realize I've got nothing. I can't think of anything. And so for support, I looked over to the lady that was playing piano who had actually organized the whole thing. She was just looking at me and smiling. I was like, what are you smiling for? This thing is a train wreck. This is horrible. And she's just like nodding at me. I'm like, that's not helping. And, and I didn't know what to do. So I'm looking at the people and I'm looking back at her. And, she's, and she says to me, you're doing great. And I'm like, well, now you're just lying. That's a total lie. Don't tell me I'm doing great. I can't remember anything. You know, I, I, I can't remember anything. They know I can't remember anything. This thing is horrible. Like, I just wanted to get off. She's like, just start singing. I had nothing, everyone. So anyway, miraculously, one line of this verse that I was supposed to know came to me. And when it did, I, I didn't know any of the other words. So I sang one line four times. And I got to the end of that. And, and I just walked backwards. And I looked at her and I looked at everyone. I said, I'm done. So I just walked off. And, and as I was walking back, the line of people that were due to sing next, I'm walking back and they're like, hey, that was great. That was really good. I'm like, well, now everybody's lying. Everyone's lying here today because we know how bad that was. Man, it feels so bad when you fail, especially publicly. It feels bad when you fail. And here's the truth. Every single person in this room has failed at something. It's actually worse than that. You probably fail all the time in different areas. You know, there would be areas of your life that you know you've just been trying to get under control. For some of you, it just might be the thoughts that go through your mind. Some of you have had thoughts that you know you shouldn't have. You know, and even though you know you shouldn't have them, that doesn't actually help you not have them. Sometimes you have said things that you know you shouldn't say. Sometimes words have crept out of your mouth that you know you're not supposed to say. N knowing that you're not supposed to say them hasn't stopped them from coming out. They happen anyway. Some, sometimes people ha have said, and may maybe you've experienced this yourself, but, but it's not just words, it's, it's the way that you behave. You behave or act in a way that you know is wrong and it's just so misaligned with everything that you actually know is true and despite the fact that you know what's wrong, it's just happened anyway. These things are small things, but there are, and there are big things too that can happen in people's lives. Like there may be someone here tonight that's gone or maybe going through a, a divorce in their life. And the reason I use that example is because I find no better example than marriage because I believe that when people stand at the altar and they make promises to each other, I think they really mean it when they say, till death do us part. I believe that both of them mean it when they say it. And yet, despite the fact that we know it's meant to be till death do us part, the reality is that divorce happens. And the truth is, is that even though if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you say that's something that we probably shouldn't do. And it's not, it wasn't my intention and it's not what I wanted it to be, but knowing doesn't help. And when you do things that you know are wrong and you, and you even though it was a mistake and things that just happened the way that they happened, it's not what you wanted, but it is what it is. When you make mistakes like that, there is a feeling that comes with that. There's an emotion that you experience, maybe a range of emotions, but I think that the emotions that people experience when they've done something they know they shouldn't do is a sense of guilt, maybe a sense of shame. And I think that guilt and shame are two of the most debilitating 
emotions that you can have. It changes the way you view yourself. It changes the way you look at your circumstances. And sometimes we just have this negative self-talk that goes on in our heads. You know, like, like sometimes we try to blame the devil for stuff. He's like, honestly, this is all you. You've totally screwed up. I had nothing to do with this. And so sometimes we have negative self-talk, but I tell you something else that Sometimes there is a voice that speaks straight into your life at the moment when you feel like you failed. And it says, you know what? You are a terrible person for making that mistake. I can't believe that you made that mistake. This is shocking. This is horrible. You, you know, and you start to listen to these words. You start to feel really bad about the stuff that you've done that, that you know is wrong. And sometimes it's our negative self-talk. But I think that often... A lot of the time, the, the voice that we hear can be of demonic origin. And I say demonic because I don't necessarily believe that it is the devil himself that is speaking to you all the time. I, I don't believe that because the devil's only in one place at one time and he's got a lot of work on his hands. Okay, so I don't know if he's personally speaking to you, but he has messengers that will tell you the exact same message and they start to feed your insecurities and they love to make you feel bad. You know, the word devil in the Greek language it's translated as Satan, but in the Hebrew, they translated that as adversary or accuser. And I believe that everyone in this room tonight, at some point in their life, has heard the voice of the accuser, heard the voice of accusation. It's the voice that points out your mistakes. It's the voice that speaks to you repeatedly about the mistakes that you've tried to move on from. They love to do this. I think that the administration within hell is outstanding. They keep such incredible and accurate records. Would make any corporate company on the planet be jealous. They are so good. They have filing cabinets with big thick files with your name on it and they are able to with accuracy record every wrong thing that you've done. Not only every wrong thing that you've done but every wrong thing that you've thought, every wrong thing that you've said. They, they manage to catch you all the time. Their administration is outstanding. They record it. They write it down. And they write it down so that they can keep a record of it and continue to bring it up with you. Man, you should know something about the devil. He is a great supporter of your sin. He loves it when you do it. He's, he's a great supporter. And you, you'll, you'll hear the voice. It's like a coach in the corner, just helping you to navigate difficult choices, especially if you're struggling and have an area of temptation in your life. Boy, is he your coach. Loves to get you to move and, and, and take a step over the line. And he'll, he'll say things to you like this, like, you know, everyone struggles with this. So if you do, it's no biggie. You know, God knows that what he's asked of you is really difficult. So if you make a mistake, well, heck, I mean, Jesus died for your sins, didn't he? So, so this would be covered under that. So you'll be all right. Like, just go ahead and, and step out and do that thing. And, you know, your parents, yeah, they'd love for you to make that decision. They would, they would be totally okay with it. Don't talk to them about it yet. But, but just, you know, tell them after and, and, and they would love for you 
uh, you know, to make that decision. Your teacher, yeah, they want you to do that, you know. And so your, your pastor, yeah, he would love you to make that decision and, and move forwards in that area of your life. So he's like a coach, right? And, and so he will coach you to step across a line which you know you shouldn't step. But the moment that you do, you meet the accuser. And here's the strange part. The accuser is your coach because he loves to coach you across the line only to accuse you the moment that you do it. This is exactly how he works because it gives him ammunition to begin to go to town on you and he loves to do that. It's what he loves to do. He will speak to you, what were you thinking? Did you honestly think that that was gonna be okay? You know that stuff was wrong. You know that that's in the Bible. You know, even if it is something that people struggle with, don't you know that you shouldn't have crossed that line? What was going on in your head when you thought that that would be okay? God is so disappointed in you. You know, your parents, they are going to be shocked. Keep this a secret from them. Please don't make sure that you don't tell them. This is terrible. Yeah? I, I tell you what the devil loves to do. He loves to play mind games. He plays mind games with people all of the time with the hope of destroying people internally. You, you got to know something, guys. There is spiritually, there is a war that's going on and the place that you will often fight it will be in your head. It'll be in your mind. And the tool that the enemy loves to use is this thing that I call accusation. And he loves to accuse not only you, but other people. He's just accusing everyone of everything all the time. You'll hear his voice when he says, you know what? That person ignored you because they don't like you. He's going to try to step into a little gap that's in your imagination and start something that was never there in the first place, you know? Some of you, I mean, I, mean, I feel like I could say into this room tonight, yes, your parents actually do love you and it's going to help someone. Because a lot of the stuff that the, that the devil uses, it's all the same stuff. It's because it works so well. So he loves to start lies inside people's heads and he loves your imagination to begin to water it. And then the moment that you step out beyond a place that you should, he says, I can't believe that you did that. And he accuses you of it. And this is how you experience the accusation. You experience it as condemnation. And condemnation is what we, the word actually means a damning sentence. It means a sentence that requires, like you've acted in a way and it requires punishment. Your behavior requires, there is a punishment attached to the thing that you did. It is a damning sentence. You are convicted of the wrong thing that you've done. We've caught you, we've got you on tape and, and the devil knows it because he kept accurate records and then he talks to you about the punishment that you deserve based on what you did. And he loves to work people over in this way. He loves to get inside of their heads and begin to speak to them. Then he, then he takes it one step further and he says, not only did you make a mistake, but it gets worse than that. You actually are the mistake that you made. So you lie and he says, you are a liar. And that's an identity thing. And the moment you take on the identity of the things that you struggle with, it changes how you look at yourself. And that's not healthy either. And so he begins to mind games. He begins to speak to you. You know, things like, what if people found out who you really are? What if they really knew you? 
pretty good at keeping it together in front of people. You know, I mean, you look like you've got it together, but what if they really discovered what you struggle with? What would people think about you? And he loves to get your imagination starting to go. You start to think, oh my gosh, what, what if people did find out who I really am? Now, see, this is where it starts to get off the track already because you are not what you do. And the moment you start defending who you are, you've already lost sight of who you are. It's pretty clear because you're trying to defend yourself against something that you're not even. And he says, oh, uh, you know, imagine if people find out who you are. I don't know if you guys would understand this or not. Josh, I might need your help here right now. In fact, just hold this. All right. Okay. Now, if I begin to head towards the edge of the stage, you would let me know, yeah? Because, because right now, I can't see a thing, but this is, these are VR goggles. And I don't know if you realize this, but the devil has a creative gift. Oh, he's so creative. I don't know if you knew this. See, when he wants to intimidate you, he, he doesn't just put a thought in your head. He will paint the picture of what it looks like when you disappoint people. And some of you, have been sitting on the couch and suddenly your mind has gone into a completely different direction and it's no longer just a thought. You have imagined the environment and what it would look like if what was inside of you, if what you're struggling with, the sin that you've got in here, if people were to find out and He will put you in that virtual reality and you start to look around and you can see the look of disappointment on people's faces. This is what it would look like if you were to be honest about what you're struggling with. This is the disappointment that would be on the faces of people. This is what your pastor looks like. This is what your parents look like. This is what your small group will think of you if they ever discovered that this is really who you are and this is really what you struggle with. And, and imagine if you were exposed and people could see what you were really struggling with. And what if it was recorded on tape and played to people? Oh, can you imagine the shame and the embarrassment? You, you'd never be able to recover from that. Your reputation would be tarnished forever. So what you should really do about it is keep it to you yourself don't tell anyone about this the devil loves for you to try to keep it to yourself he uses his tools of fear and intimidation but he he loves you to keep what you're struggling with to yourself because he knows that if you were honest about it there would be someone at this church that would help you and you'd be able to see clearly again but he doesn't want you to see clearly so he tries to keep the picture of disappointment in front of your face to prevent you from having the courage to step forward and begin to step out. The threat of exposure will keep you there. You know, when, in 2007, I decided that um, I was on my way to work one day and I, I was praying about some stuff. And God spoke to me that day. And he said, in the next two years, I'm going to place you in full-time ministry. And at the time, that felt crazy because I felt pretty far from doing that. And two years later, there I was in full-time ministry. 
Now, I'm not the kind of person that would tell you that there is a devil behind everything. You know, like you find these people that are like, that's the devil and that too and that too. And so we know those people. I'm not that person. I'm not trying to point out everything, but I'll tell you something. The moment that I heard the voice of God say to me, in two years, I'll put you in full-time ministry, I heard another voice speak straight into my life. And I haven't heard it like this since, but he said, if you step out into ministry and you take that job, I'm going to expose you. And I'll tell everyone what you've done. I'll expose, I'll expose your past and then people will know. He tried to start using that exposure, that put the goggles on my face. But the moment that he did, I said, hang on, wait a minute. So, so your plan to intimidate me is to tell people what I've done? This is why the enemy loves you to think a mile wide but an inch deep because the threat of exposure is sometimes enough to keep some people from ever stepping out into ministry. But, but I, I heard that. I said, are, are you kidding me? I said, that's your idea? First of all, devil, that's not your story. That's my story. So don't you dare come and try to tell me that you're going to take my story. That's not your story. That's my story. And by the way, if you're going to tell the story, at least tell them the whole thing. See, the truth about my life is that, yeah, I made some pretty big mistakes. There's a whole history there. I could fill a warehouse with the stuff I wish that I never did. And there were seasons of brokenness in my life. There was lots of stuff that was there. I could tell you all about it. And right then there, when I was broken and felt so far from God, at that exact moment, my Savior came and reached out and He grabbed me and He pulled me back from the way that I was going. So if you want to tell my story, fine. But that's my testimony. That's my story. And it does start pretty bad, but it ends pretty good because my story is that Christ saved me. I'm saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. That's my story. So don't you come and say you're going to use my story. I love that story. It points to the glory of God and I'll sh- you don't have to worry about sharing it. I'll share it for you. And see, the enemy loves to do that kind of thing. There are people in this room tonight where the enemy has tried to intimidate you out of stepping up to the plate and doing things that God has called you to do out of fear and intimidation. He loves to do that. Intimidate you out of your calling. He came to me and I, I'll tell you the truth. There, were, there wasn't just one thing that he said to me that day. There were two things. And I haven't heard the devil speak to me like this since. But what he said to me was not only number one, will I expose you? But the second one was that if you step out into ministry, I'll take the life of your firstborn child before he turns five years old. I've never heard anything like that since. And the moment that he said that, I said, you don't have the authority to make that call. You've overplayed your hand today. You don't have the authority to do that. But you know what? With every birthday that came at my son's first first birthday, I heard the voice as we were cutting the cake. You got four years left. And then when he turned two, he said, you've got three years left and then he's gone. And then you're never going to see him again, right? And every time, so for five years, he kept doing it. And you know what? The whole time, I didn't tell people about it. I wasn't worried about it because I knew that he was trying to say stuff that he, couldn't, that he couldn't say to me. Like he was trying to threaten me with something he couldn't thre- threaten me with. You know, the truth is the devil came to me and he tried to issue me a double threat. But the thing that he didn't understand is that I'm a triple threat. He didn't know. That's so sad for him. He came with a double threat. I'm a triple threat. 
Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Because I've got a father that adopted me, a son that's forgiven me, and the Spirit of God that empowers me. And if God is for me, who would dare come against me? And so he tried to intimidate me with some stuff he couldn't do. And I went back to him with everything that I could do. And see, you got to start to get a revelation of who God really is in your life and start coming under the intimidation and fear of the enemy. You know, there's a great story about a preacher called Smith Wigglesworth. He, he was around a, a, a long time ago, but he, he would pray for people and, and people would get miraculously healed, like moved in signs and wonders. He says, he writes this, you can read it, one night, he was asleep in his bed and he felt the bed bump and I woke him up and he said that he, he pulled down the covers and, and looked at the end of his bed and he said, I swear to you, the devil himself was sitting on the end of my bed. And when he saw the devil, they exchanged a glance and then Smith Wigglesworth said, oh, it's only you. And he went back to sleep. Because he wasn't worried about the devil because he understood who his God is. He understood who God was in his life. See, you can't give the devil too much credit. And I feel like some of you have probably been intimidated by the enemy to the point where you've stepped back from some ministry stuff in your life because you didn't want to paint the target on your back. Hey, if you're going to come against somebody, go against somebody else, not me. I'm not even going to cause much of a stir. Find someone else to bother. And so you retreat and you step back. But I tell you that this is the time for you to go to war. You need to start to go to war over the stuff that God wants to do in your life. I want to read a scripture to you. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, which is, the, you know, it's physical, we are not waging war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not of the flesh, but we have divine power. Thank you, triple threat. We have divine power to destroy strongholds. That is a repeated pattern of thinking that it convinces you of something that's probably not true. He says in verse 5, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion, raise against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I feel like that is a word that someone needs to hear tonight that you take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because there are going to be some thoughts that just come into your head and they just walk in there. And if, if you don't take them captive, they're going to start a loop in your mind, a repeated pattern of thought until it becomes a stronghold. But just because the devil put a thought in your head doesn't mean that you need to believe it. I wonder what lie you're living with right now. I wonder what lie you currently believe is not true about you, but you think it is. And remember, I told you that if you believe a lie, you'll live a lie. So you've got to start to figure out the difference between the lies and truth. And I'll give you a great truth right now tonight. The truth about this whole thing is that God knows your deepest, darkest secret and He loves you anyway. That's the gospel. That's why we call it good news, everybody, because God knows who you are and He is madly in love with you. 
to the point that He would send His only Son to die upon the cross to set you free from the power of sin that would rule and reign over you. In fact, if you get into the Bible and you start to unpack this, it says that when people, when humanity was an enemy of God because we continued to rebel against Him and go in the wrong direction, at that point, He sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. So you've got to get this. You've got to get this. You gotta get this because if you don't get this, you're not gonna see it when the devil comes for you. You're gonna believe that you are what he says you are. You're gonna believe a lie and then you gotta start to live a lie. But you should know that God loves you in spite of all the wrong stuff that you've done. And the voice of the accuser loves to come to you and point out every wrong thing that you've done. And he constantly brings it up with you. He likes to shield you from that truth that God loves you. And you you know how he does it? He does it by getting you to focus on your sin. So here's what happens. You make a mistake and he plays it back to you. And then he tells you how bad you are for doing it. Oh, he encouraged you to do it first, but then he plays it back to you. And then you feel bad about it and he plays it back to you again. And again, and again, and again. He never gets tired of doing this. He loves, this This is what we call condemnation. He loves to play back to you all the mistakes that you've made. Can I, can I explain something to you tonight? I have never seen one person find freedom by focusing on their mistakes. Not one. Not one person. No one ever repeatedly looks at what they've done wrong, focuses on it, thinks about it, stews on it, continues to repeat the process and walks that process out of that process into freedom. It's not going to happen. So what you need to do is get your eyes off all the things that the devil replays to you and get your eyes back onto Jesus because there's something you need to understand. Romans 8 verse 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None. Did Did you catch that? Did you get that? There's no condemnation, none. What's condemnation? That's the penalty attached to the act that you committed. And he says, there's no penalty attached to that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Of course, you know, if you're not in Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Him, He's going to go to work on you and and He can. But if you know who Christ is, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, your faith in His promises. Because I'll tell you something, there is nothing that the devil can do about that. I want to read another scripture to you. This one, I I feel like I'm going to read this to you tonight. And it's almost like you're going to get this. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. His presence is in this place tonight. I tell you, I'm going to read this to you. And some of you are going to get set free just because you heard the Word. It says this in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And you, he could be talking about you, who were dead in your trespasses. See, trespasses is your mistakes. That's your sin. You should probably know that the penalty of sin is death. That's why we have it. And he says that while you don't deal with all of the sin that's in your life, there is a penalty 
that's coming, that's due. Eternally, you're going to experience that. But he says, and you who were dead in, the tres- in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Well, there it is. Circumcision has made its way into another message of mine. But let me explain to you what it's about. Because if you don't get this, you're going to miss a lot. Circumcision was the seal of a covenant with God. Covenants like a promise, only far more significant. It's binding, it's unchanging. And in the Old Testament, what would happen is people would enter into a covenant with God through the spilling of blood that happened at circumcision. It was a seal of that covenant with God. But see, what we need to get is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, on that cross, His blood was shed, which means that we don't have to shed any blood to enter into that new covenant of grace and forgiveness with Him. We don't need to, we don't need to spill a drop because it was already done by Him. And every man in here said, thank you, Jesus, for what you did so we don't have to have that. He says, God made a life together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Now get this, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. See, I told you that, that hell keeps great records of all of your wrong, of all of your mistakes, but it says here that He cancelled that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed, and these are spiritual things here, spiritual rulers, and spiritual authorities, and He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Did you get what just happened? Some of you did. Maybe some of you didn't. What just happened is that God cancelled the record of debt that the accuser has to go to work on you. Hey, it's cancelled. It's gone. It's it. It's done. It's finished. There's, there's, there's actually nothing to accuse you of. There's, there's nothing there. There's, there's nothing that He can point to. There's, there's nothing that He can say about you anymore. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you've done, but, but there's nothing that He can do about it because it's all been paid. See, see in somewhere in the deepest, darkest pit of hell, He's got a file with your name on it. And He opens the filing cabinet and He takes out that big, thick file that's got all of the stuff that you've ever done wrong. And he opens it and he says, right, now it's time to go to work on you. And he takes out the first thing that you ever did wrong. And he looks at it and it says, this has been paid for. And he looks at it and he says, well, that's, that's not right. And he finds another one. This is paid. Wait a minute. That's not right. This one's paid too. Wait, what's going on here? Paid. It's paid. It's paid. It's paid. Wait, this one, hang on, hang on, hang on, wait, wait, wait. Because this guy did a lot of bad stuff in his life. We know it. We saw it. We took deca- detailed and accurate records. But wait a minute. It's paid. It's paid. It's paid. It's paid. Don't you get it? See, the point is, is that every wrong thing that you've ever done has been paid for because of what Christ did. And so if it's been paid for, then it's no longer outstanding. It means that when the enemy comes to you and says, hey, I've got a record of what you did, you say, but that's being paid for. You can't bring that to me anymore. It's done. 
it's finished. And rather get looped in to the cycle of condemnation that continues to make you feel guilty about every bad thing that you've ever done wrong. You say it's paid for, it's done, it's finished. You have no right to bring that to me anymore. See, see, you need to know this. Because I promise you, the enemy will still come to you and try to remind you of stuff that's been paid for. There is nothing to accuse you of. No record of wrong. No record of your debt anymore. The devil will go. He, he would love to go to God and to accuse you, but he can't. So he goes to you instead, hoping that you'll believe it. Because if you believe a lie, you'll live a lie. And he wants all the people that are free to walk around like they're slaves because they don't get that everything that they've ever done has already been paid for. Don't believe the lie. Here's my point. The gospel leaves the devil speechless. That's it. He's got nothing to say. He's going to try it on but he's got nothing to say. Let me read one more scripture to you and then I'm done. This comes out of Revelation chapter 12. In verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser. There he is again. See, notice that God calls him by what he does. The accuser of our brothers, that's Christian people, has been thrown down. He was thrown down at the time that this was written. This was written a few thousand years ago, so you should probably take note of this. He says he's been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. That's what he would do. See what they've done? See the mistake that they've made? See who they are? And it says in verse 11 that they being us, we have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus dying on the cross and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. See, what is it about my testimony that's supposed to be so intimidating to the enemy? I mean, I get what Jesus did, but, but how, how can I overcome Him based on my, my testimony, my story? Because if you look at my story, I told you it starts pretty bad, but it ends pretty good. So my testimony, my story is not that I was good enough to say to the devil, you've got nothing to say against me. My testimony is that I am saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. He has set me free. And, and, and you need to get something else too, because when you ask Jesus into your life, He forgives you of your sin, which means the record of debt is now cancelled. But there's something else that happens that you might have missed. There is a shift in the balance of power when that happens. Because before you asked Jesus in your, into your life, there was a whole bunch of stuff that you did wrong and the, the enemy of your soul had every right to stand and point out your sin and accuse you and say, hey, penalty's coming. And he had every right to do that. But the moment you gave your sinful life to Jesus, He gave you His perfect one in place of your sinful one. Now that shifts the balance of power. Because now when I speak to the enemy, I don't speak to him as a person that lives a perfect life. I speak to him as a person that's dressed in the righteousness of Christ because he gave me his perfect life. So every time you hear the accusation of the enemy that comes and says, do you know what you've done? You say, do you know what I'm dressed in? 
Do you know, did you not see what I was wearing when you came to me today? I wear the righteousness of Christ. I may not be perfect, but He is. And He gave that to me. You've got nothing to say against me. And if you get this, you will never come under the guilt and the shame of condemnation ever again because you say, I'm free, I'm done. The debt has been paid. The battle has been fought. It's been won. And I live from victory moving forwards the moment you get that I, I promise you this it'll change everything about how you see yourself you'll never live a lie again it'll change everything about the way that you live here's what I want to do tonight would you just close your eyes for a moment hey thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast we hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services so to connect further with us head over to brightchurch.com